You're listening to the Desperation Podcast. This week, we start a new series called You Out Your Head with guest speaker Mo Isom. here. It's just good. It's good energy. I am super excited to be with y'all. Um, and I really, really don't want to waste too much time introducing myself because we've got some really important stuff to dive into tonight. Um, but a, a, like a 10-second elevator pitch. Um, my husband's family actually lives right here in the Springs. Um, so actually, I'm Mo Aiken. It's my married name. But I still go by my maiden name, but I'm an Aiken, and so a piece of my heart is here in the Springs with you guys always. Uh, I'm a speaker, and I'm an author. I have two books. The first is called Wreck My Life. It was my story of coming to faith. The second, which just released a few months ago, is called Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot. And I kind of love that this church isn't actually forgetting those conversations. In fact, when I reached out to this church to say, I'm going to be in town. Do you all have any needs? How can I serve you all? They were like, get to our youth group like tonight. Because we just finished a series on idolatry. And a number of people in this room, in this youth group, were so bold and so brave to confess that a large idol in their lives was pornography. And I'm standing up here, you guys, as a pilgrim, not a preacher, because that was a huge part of my story, too. Let everyone get nervous that a woman just said that. But yes, women are wrestling with these same things, too, and we're going to talk into some of that. But People might think, oh my gosh, if we're talking sex, if we're talking porn, why didn't we like split the group up? Why aren't we talking just to the guys and, and, and then the girls just talking to the girl? And the truth of the matter is that sexual sin, that pornography, that these issues that have a stranglehold over, over our culture are not just reserved for one sex or another. These are heart conditioned spiritual issues that every single one of us are walking through and navigating through. And so it's important that we can come together in community and be raw and be vulnerable and turn to the word of God and turn to truth and see what he has to say about this. Because guess what? I want revival. I want deliverance from these issues and these strangleholds. And the fact of the matter is there are people in this room right now, maybe a vast majority, that are wrestling with these strangleholds right now. And maybe some don't even see it. They're like, no, that's just a part of my routine. That's a part of my day. It's, it's, what, it's a fix. It's no big deal. Others are understanding the weight of those implications, and they want freedom from it. They want deliverance from it. They don't want to feel so pulled toward it, so addicted almost to it, but they just can't break that chain. There's some stranglehold there, and they don't want it. And there's some in here who aren't wrestling with that, but it's important we talk about it because the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's keen, and he's sly. And in this culture right now, it's not hard for that foothold to come into your life and that stranglehold to consume you. So we've got to be talking about it. The church should be one of the loudest voices about these topics because God has a lot to say about sex. In fact, if we want to really dive into this stuff, we should probably start at truth because that's where it begins. Truth. The truth about sex is that it was God's invention. And it's good. Married woman. It's a gift. Smoking hot husband. Ladies. Oh! 
sorry, his siblings are in here right now, and I apologize for that, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law. Um, yeah, but the, the truth of the matter where we have to start in a culture that's made this taboo, in a church that doesn't know the right things to sit, not this church, churches, church, the body of Christ, that doesn't know what to say, that doesn't even know how to talk about it, that sees a world that has this great sexual screaming match debate going on of what is right, what is wrong, this allowed, this not. In a world that's consumed with sex, the church actually feels rather unequipped to talk about sex. We must be the most equipped to speak about a gift from God, an invention God created. The very first conversation God had with man in the word in Genesis involved two things. Our inherent value is image-bearing creations of God and sex. You're like, well, I have never read that in Genesis. <laughs> Get me to Song of Solomon and I'm all about it. No. In Genesis, the first conversation God has with man, he says a few things. One of the things he says is he speaks of our inherent value as image-bearing creations of God. He says, I have made you as the pinnacle of my work. I have made you in my image to rule over this world. He says, be fruitful. Be constructive. Be productive members of, of, of this world. Move in power. Move in authority. Be fruitful, and then he says, and multiply. That's what sex does. It multiplies. He speaks of sex. Multiply. In my instruction, in my design, I'm giving you this gift so that you can continue this great creation. Multiply. And so God speaks of our inherent value, and he speaks of sex. And these two things were always intended to be woven together. But then sin entered into the equation. This serpent slithered into the equation and said, actually, why don't you just choose for yourself what you think is best? Eve never sinned initially with the intent to be this crazy rebel. Eve chose to choose for herself what she wanted. And a lot of the times we find ourselves in sexual sin not because we woke up one morning and said, you know what, Dad Gummit, let me sleep with 12 people today. <laughs> Curse you, God. Let me hear some Cardi B, am I right? Like, no, that's not how it all began. Sexual sin crept in because somewhere along the way temptation came and we said, maybe if I just... Or that was kind of interesting when I saw, and what kilts can I find? And sexual sin creeps into our story and then wraps around us like a stranglehold. And it strips us of the identity that was assigned to us. And sexual sin becomes the tool that we use to seek identity, to seek worth, to seek value. Am I loved? Does this feel good? Is this pleasurable? Is this what I want? Is this what I need? And the reason sexual sin becomes that is because we detached it from the truth that God already said, you are seen, you are known, you are loved, you carry value, you carry purpose. I want you to be productive. I want you to be constructive. I want you to not be distracted. I want you to move in power. But we choose to choose for ourselves and sin enters in. Sex was given to us as a gift in the right context. An act of worship. Ever heard sex talked about like that? Sex is an act of worship in marriage. 
a reminder to your spouse, I'm here for you, all of me, all the time. A reminder to God, God, thank you for this gift. It is good. It is pure. A reminder to the enemy, guess what? We're not soon divided. Let this be a proclamation that I'll lay down my life for my spouse and them for me because you won't have a foothold in our lives or our marriage. Sex is this powerful weapon. But man, when we chose to choose for ourselves, we picked up this weapon and we started wielding it. And did we not get injured along the way? Because we didn't know the truth about sex. So that's where it begins. It begins as this good thing, this thing that should never carry shame, never carry guilt, never be burdensome because it's a good gift from God. But man, if our world does not steal it, twist it, cheapen it, pervert it, worship it, you know, talk about an idol. Man, we worship what was created rather than worshiping the creator. We make sex this God. I need it. And y'all, I'm not just speaking about the final act here. I'm speaking about, about the, the, gambit, the gambit of sexuality that starts in the mind. Get out your head. Moves to the heart. Moves into our actions. Sex is this wide-scoping, wide-reaching gift. And this is coming from someone who heard a lot about that and so then like kind of proclaimed this um, virginity vow. Well, then, yeah, I'll be a virgin till I'm married. But what do we do? Because we're fallen sinful creatures, we make this proud vow of, oh, yeah, virginity, because we think virginity is the, the mark. And, and then our question becomes, okay, so how far is too far? Like how far, what would still qualify me as a virgin? And if I did that or if I tried this and... We hold on to virginity and we miss purity. What God calls of us, a pure heart, that we would set pure things before our eyes, that we would speak pure words, that we would be pure vessels that he could purely move through. That's why he calls us to purity. Because he wants to use us. And when we're muddied up in the muck and mire and keeping all this stuff in darkness and bound down by shame and guilt and confusion and frustration and lack of understanding about our own sexuality and tied to a computer screen or to our phone screens, we become these impure vessels. And God says, I, I never called for, for, for your semi-good behavior of a, of a vain virginity vow. I called for your heart, a pure heart. That's what I care about and that's what I desire. And man, my story was that vain virginity vow and then just choosing for myself along the way. Began struggling with pornography, led to promiscuity, even evolved in adultery unknowingly when I was in college. Didn't realize it was a married man. Oh, but hey, I was still a virgin, if anyone asked. I'd never gone all the way. God's like, I want your heart. I want your heart to be pure because transformation and change and freedom will never come just from behavior modification. Transformation and freedom and change comes from heart transformation. And so he wants our heart. But what's happened is that a world has stolen, twisted, taken, cheapened sex, stolen the sanctity of sex and made it something for our entertainment. And we are massively struggling as a result. 
listen to this. When I was eight years old, I opened up um, the truck door from my dad's truck to get in, and this poker card fell out. Like he had all these papers and stuff wadded behind the seats. And, and, and this poker card fell out, and I wasn't thinking much of it, and I picked it up to stuff it back in, and I flipped it over, and it was a, it was a novelty poker card. There was a pornographic image on the back. So I was eight years old seeing this for the first time. And don't, don't, oh, man, people try to justify, rationalize. Don't tell me a thing. Man, when you see that stuff for the first time, the world will tell you, it's just entertainment, it's fine. No, it sears something on your heart. It sears something in your soul. And an eight-year-old can pick that up and know that's sin. That's not right. That's not pure. And I shoved it back into the driver's seat and I like nervously got in the car and it was my dad's car, my father. Looking at these things when my mom was right inside the house, did she know? And I felt so much shame and so much guilt and so much confusion. And that escorted me into this struggle with pornography because in an ideal world, wouldn't we say, oh, that was bad, I don't want that anymore. But in the real world, don't we say, oh, that was bad. I don't, well, that was actually kind of, what did that make me feel? I actually, what, we start seeking out the very things that seared our heart. Porn has this power to call out to us, does it not? Like, am I speaking truth up here? Or y'all just not, is this not even familiar? Porn has this power to call out to us, and we don't even want it, but we can't help it. It starts to enslave us. And we go back for a little more, a little more, a little more. And it speaks right into this scripture. Matthew 6, through 23 says, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is darkness, how deep that darkness is. I think I might have made a typo. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Oh, there it was. The eye is the lamp into our body, into our mind, into our heart, into our soul. And y'all, when we start setting things before our eyes, it affects our minds and our hearts and our souls. It affects them in a really massive way. And I can see and feel some tension in the room, so I just want to kind of normalize this and put us all on the same level playing field here because in this world right now with technology, with TV, with our phones, with the computer, sometimes things are set before our eyes that we didn't even want. It's just like it's linked to a hashtag, and all of a sudden there's something we were not hoping to see on our phone, and it's right in front of our face. Did you know that right now, let me just level the playing field here because if you feel like oh man, I'm, I might be the only one in the room or like definitely on my row or like Susie next to me is not wrestling with this and this is real awkward. Listen to this. In one year, don't put this stat up until I finish it because I want the shock factor because it's like gut-wrenching. In one year, in 2016, one year on one pornographic website and there are hundreds of thousands one year on one website, we as a people consumed 4.6 billion hours of pornography. That is 524,000 years of pornography. That is 17,000 complete lifetimes consumed in one year on one website. 
One out of five mobile phone searches right now is for porn. Porn is affecting, if we think this is just unsaved males contributing to these statistics, we're as naive as they come. Porn is affecting men, it's affecting women, it's affecting children, the average age of exposure to pornography, nine years old. It is an epidemic affecting our culture, and I say that to say you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone if this is a stranglehold on your life. But here's the struggle is that what we see, this was my story in a massive way. What we see, what we put before our eyes, what we keep coming back to, it, it, it desensitizes our heart. And we pop something up on the computer screen thinking we'll just kind of satisfy that quick urge. And it's actually desensitizing our heart to sex is a precious thing. And the problem here becomes that we begin to flip open our phone. No phones flip anymore. Oh, I just showed my age. We like face scan on our phone, right? Y'all, I was back in the days of like the Nokias that you played Snake on. They were so good. I miss that. Those things wouldn't break. Now I sneeze on my iPhone and it shattered. I'm like, what, what happened? But we begin to see people on a screen as body parts made for our pleasure rather than image-bearing creations of God. This is the problem with porn. Porn desensitizes our heart and we dehumanize people, real people, Real sons, real daughters, real sisters, real mothers, real creations of God, just like you and me. We dehumanize them, and they're made for our pleasure, and we consume it, and we eat it up. And guess what? The porn industry loves it. Because guess what it does is it affects neurotransmitters in our mind, and it creates this, this, this rush, this dopamine fix that, like, are, do you all know what dopamine is? It's that feeling, it's that rush you get when you like eat something amazing or you see a cute puppy or you see somebody you love. It's that rush and we want it, we desire it more. And so porn actually releases this fix in our mind and so then we want more. And we go back for more. And we keep going back for more and more and more. And the porn industry is like, come on, keep coming back. Because every click on our website pays us. And guess what? Every click on our website makes you a silent financial partner to human trafficking. And they don't even know. Come on back. Keep clicking. Well, don't you like it? You want it. You need it. It's normal. It's fine. Human beings. Stripped of worth and dignity and value. Did you know 88% of pornographic scenes depict sex in a violent or aggressive manner? Someone do the math. If we consumed 4.6 billion hours of porn and 88 on one website, and 88% of those scenes depicted physical violence inflicted on someone, how many hours of violent sex did we put before our eyes and then come back for more? It's in the billions of hours. This is what people are consuming, and the enemy's like, yes. They don't even know it. They don't even know it, what it's stripping from our hearts. And we just can't stop coming back for more. There was this owner of a pornographic company who was quoted as, as saying um, that, I'm going to paraphrase, but if y'all pick up the book, you can read into more of this. But he was actually quoted as saying that they liked to use women 
who were new to porn because the pain they felt inflicted on them was genuine and their viewers liked to see genuine, authentic pain the best. That's what got people off. What? What? Where did we lose it? Where did we twist it? What has the enemy done to the gift given to us by God? We would watch abuse and be entertained and enjoy it. Man, what we put before our eyes has powerful implications on our heart. Desensitization, and then it leads to rationalization, and then we actually start acting out the things we've seen, and girls are feeling pressured to do what's done in porn to please a guy because all the guys are looking at porn, and that's what's getting them off, and then guys are having trouble even investing in real relationships, and so are women. I'm not just tossing the guys under the bus here. Porn is robbing us not just of our understanding of sexuality. It's robbing us of our ability to have genuine relationships with people. And the enemy's like, come on, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. And Christ is like, I died for this. I died to redeem this. Rise up, dry bones. Rise up, dry bones. You move in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ Almighty. You can wake up, cover yourself in the blood of the Savior and look different than this world. You don't have to be enslaved by the same things that are enslaving the masses as they are blindly like sheep running off a cliff because they don't know the good shepherd's voice. Do you? Because Jesus is saying, hold on. I care about your heart. And I've come to set the captives free. So listen, you guys, as I was praying that last worship song, it was so powerful. And we were saying, you know, spirit, come on. The atmosphere is changing now. I got vision of this room. And there was this white cloud that kind of descended and came right down over us. And as the words were prayed out and you guys were crying out, there were legions of angels that on the outside of this building were kind of flanking around. And that's because right now, in Jesus Christ's holy name, we're going to restore what was truth than what was twisted and lost and has strangle-held our hearts. And it's going to be restored to truth. So I was reading the other day in Scripture, in Mark, and it was talking about the signs and wonders that would, 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 would show in the young generation and those who were baptized in the Spirit. And one of the signs that it talked about was they would pick up snakes with their hands. And I thought, well, I've seen that go weird. <laughs> That's, I don't know. What does that even mean, God? Because I can move down these other signs and wonders and okay, yes, and oh, come on, move in power, authority, yes, and pick up snakes with our hands. And I, I felt like there was more there that God was saying. So I was like, God, what are you saying? That this generation would be equipped with, what are you saying? What's deeper here? And the next day I was riding in my car um, through Missouri, uneventful state. Um, I was just, <laughs> so I'm like, what do I do? So I put on my Bible, um, you version, on the loudspeakers. And I was listening in Exodus. And in Exodus 4, it's Moses at the burning bush. And God's showing him the signs and wonders that he'll operate in before Pharaoh 
in order to convince Pharaoh to set the captives free. And at one point, Jesus, or God is talking to Moses, and Moses has this shepherd's staff, and he says, throw down the staff. And when he does, it turns into a snake. And Moses is scared. And I'm sitting here listening, and I'm saying, what, what, okay, what are you doing here, God? Because then God says to Moses, no, 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 don't be afraid. Bend down and pick up the snake. And so Moses bends down and picks up this snake by the tail, and it returns into a staff. And I thought, that's interesting. He's picking up snakes with his hands. And you just told us a sign and wonder that would follow us as we would pick up snakes with our hands. And so what are you saying here, God? What are you unpacking? And God just began to move in power, the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, what is a staff? And I said, well, it was, it was Moses' staff. It was his shepherd's staff. It's a guiding tool. It's how they navigate the land. It's how they direct their sheep. And he said, yes, a shepherd's staff. And who is the good shepherd? And I said, oh, it's Jesus. He said, yes. So what is the good shepherd's staff? What is his guiding tool? And I said, truth. Yes. And what have we done in this world? to truth, to firm, steady, unchanging truth. What have we done? Sin has entered in. We've tossed that truth down and it's become a serpent. We've rationalized truth. We've made it comfortable to fit what we want. We've taken what was a gift from God and we've tossed it down like it's of no importance, and it's turned into a serpent. A serpent always in Scripture represents sin, the enemy. Look at the garden. Who was that one that tempted Eve to choose for herself? God says, okay, so what do I want you to do? I want you to bend down, pick up that snake with your hands, and I will restore it to firm unchanging truth. Moses threw down the staff. It became a snake when he picked it back up. It was a firm snake again. And God is saying the same power and authority that existed in Moses to operate in these signs and wonders exist in you. Because that power and that authority is God himself. It is God Almighty wanting to operate through you. And so if Moses can recognize a serpent, pick it up with his hands and restore it to truth, I believe what God is saying to us is there was truth. There was a gift. There was design. But we've twisted it. We've cheapened it. We've perverted it. It has a stranglehold around our hearts. You have the power and authority to reach down, reach deep into yourself, draw up that serpent, and allow God to restore it to truth. The signs and wonders that will follow this generation is we will pick up snakes with our hands. And what was the purpose? Why did God operate that through Moses? to set the captives free? Why does God desire for you to know that you move in that power and authority, to recognize porn for what it is, sexual sin for what it is, to not just be enslaved to it, because we are enslaved right now. To not be enslaved, but to say by the power and blood of Jesus Christ, these chains will be broken. And not only that, these chains will be the very chains that will bind up the enemy and send him back to the pit of hell where he came from. He's saying no, that you have the power and authority 
to reach into that darkest sin that you've stuffed down and don't want anyone to know about and to draw it up into the light and allow him to restore unchanging, never-failing truth so that you can move out into a hurting, broken, consumed world and set the captives free and let them know that we have a God who redeems, who restores, who sees us in the midst of our mess and says, I love you and I died for you. Let's do it. Let's tackle it. The enemy has no authority here. This stranglehold has no authority over your life. This stranglehold gets no authority over your story, over your marriage, over your relationships. This sexual sin, this struggle with pornography, it gets no authority anymore in your life by the power and blood of Jesus Christ. Would we move in boldness? Would it not just be behavior modification? Oh, maybe I won't look at porn and I'm going to maybe like work on this for a few months and We try and we try and we try and then we stumble again. And what do we feel even deeper that time around? Shame and guilt. And the enemy says, let that shame keep you silent. You've done it again. You couldn't even do it. Who were you thinking? What were you thinking? Who do you think you are? God says, I'm not in the business of solely impacting behavior modification. I'm in the business of heart transformation. Because out of a pure heart comes pure motives and pure actions. Out of an impure heart comes impure things. So God cares fiercely for your heart. And so our prayer must become, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. God says there's, there's two steps here in the spiritual action that we have to take against these strangleholds in our life. The first is to capture. Scripture says, Take your thoughts captive and surrender them to Christ. When that urge comes in, when that desire right now to stay silent and not confess your mess to anyone tonight, when that enemy starts saying, no, 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 it's too much, you're not ready, you're not ready, you're not there yet, they're going to think this or that, take it captive. Take your thoughts captive and surrender them to Christ. God, you are the one who used Rahab the prostitute in the lineage of Jesus Christ. You are the one who sat by the whore at the well with five husbands and the man she was living with wasn't even her husband. And you didn't condemn her or shame her. In fact, you told her you could offer her living water that she would never thirst again. And one step further, you sent her as the first person in the holy word of God you gave permission to, to evangelize. The whore, the woman at the well is the first person Jesus said, all right, go tell him who I am. Every other sign, wonder, miracle he had operated in, if you read the the gospels, he's saying, don't tell anyone yet. He's meticulous in the release of his ministry. But it's the woman at the well, it's the whore, the person with the sexual bondage that he frees, he says, go tell him who I am. And hundreds come to believe in response to her faithfulness. My Jesus is the one who looked at the adulteress to be stoned and didn't cast a stone. In fact, said in response to my great love and mercy for you, go and sin no more. Live differently because of my love and mercy for you. Man, the world needs to know that, Jesus. We need to know that, Jesus. Take captive those thoughts when they come and surrender them to Christ. Don't just capture, then correct. Correct. Would we replace those thoughts with an earnest prayer? And I have to hit my knees for this because it literally transformed my life when I was 18 years old and came to know Jesus. 
my prayer around pornography and around these struggles became, God, break my heart for what breaks yours and bind my heart to thee. Give me eyes to see the world as you see it and give me ears to hear the cry of the hurting. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me your eyes. Give me your ears. It's so simple. But if our earnest heart cry becomes God, Break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me eyes to see the world as you do it. You will not be able to look at pornography the same. Because pornography deeply breaks the father's heart. And his eyes, it can't. It's sensitive, y'all. When I, was, I, I came to know Jesus, it transformed my life. That became my prayer. And the next time that those thoughts came, because y'all, I'm not going to sit up here and say it's easy. It's a fight like hell for your heart and your purity. Those thoughts came, those temptations came. I remember sitting in my room. I lived alone in college, and I, it was just a lot. It was just too much. I'd, just been, I'd been resisting for so long, but I just felt weak. My prayer had been, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Bind my heart to thee. Give me eyes to see the world as you see it. Give me ears to hear the cry of the hurting. In a moment of weakness, I opened up that computer screen and started clicking around to what I wanted to see in the instant I saw a, a naked woman and man. I could have vomited. You want to talk about a transformed heart? I got nauseous. I couldn't see it the same. Are you prepared to ask God to break your heart for what breaks his? Because that's a hard prayer. Woo, he'll start doing it. You won't live the same. You won't operate the same. You won't move through your school the same, your family the same, your community the same. Are you prepared to say, give me eyes to see the world as you see it? Because you'll start seeing things a whole lot different. Are you prepared to say, give me ears to hear the cry of the hurting? And those sounds that once intrigued you on that pornographic image will become cries of broken hearts. And you just won't be stimulated the same. God loves people fiercely. And he loves you fiercely. And he loves the people on those screens fiercely. Would we love the people on those screens fiercely? We want to look like Jesus. Would we actually look a little different than the world? Would we claim the power and authority in Jesus Christ's name to break these chains over our lives? Or are you just comfortable sitting in the unhappy tension that I know you feel? No, I think tonight we're going to, like, just have a little revival. Here's what I want to do. Um, I, I want to call the band up because I want to worship. I actually want to sing that last song we just sang if we could. And, you guys, what I want to do as we, as, we, as we sing this and as we pray, I want to invite the Holy Spirit into this place because I just, I, I, I could say eloquent words, but they're just clamoring bells if the Holy Spirit's not present to bring heart transformation. I don't want to be in the way of that. So I want us to worship, and I want the Holy Spirit to be welcomed again into this place, that cloud I saw in vision. We're armored up, by the way, surrounding this building. There's angels that are blocking. In fact, right now, in Jesus Christ's name, God, we cry out, would you just cover this building in the blood of Jesus? God, would you bind up any schemes, any temptation, any guilt, any shame, any, any darkness hovering in this place or in these hearts, would you bind that up in Jesus Christ's name? Would we cast it out and would we send it back to the pits of hell where it came from? Enemy, you can stand, you can be squashed under our heel right now. Because in the name of Jesus, we will have the courage 
to move in the power and authority that lived in Moses, to reach down into the snake that has entangled us for far too long, to pull it up and to allow God to restore it into steadfast truth. God, would you come with this cloud that I saw in vision as we worship, as we lift you up, would it fall on all of us right now? Would it fall? Would this cloud come down and just pulse out in this place? And Holy Spirit, would you bring revival? Would you transform hearts, God? And we know that you invite us to participate in that. We have to be the open hands. We have to open our hands and say, I confess. Man, I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to just serve my own wants, my own urges. I'm prone like Eve to choose for myself. But God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And not just lead me in the ways that are good and true and pure, but be that powerful Holy Spirit that was promised to us in the Word of God, that was promised to us that would come and break the shackles in our hearts, break the chains over our lives. God, I just see a cloud falling, God, and I feel a pulse almost, and chains have to break at the name of Jesus. The enemy just has absolutely no authority over us, over our lives, over our hearts. Chains have to break. They have to in the name of Jesus. In the power and blood of Jesus Christ fall over this place. Spirit, would you fall? Would we open up our hands and open up our hearts and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to surrender it, God. Take it. Take it. Confess it. Confess it. And if that's you, if porn in particular is a stranglehold over your life, I want to invite you to come down here to be prayed over and to just be amongst others who have been bound up in these same things. There's no shame. There's no fingers pointed. And your pastor has moved in such power to profess that this was even a, a stranglehold that was over his life. Is Jesus not faithful to break us of these things? Would we move in power right now and understand healing and redemption and would we worship in Jesus' name?